listening to Grace Geltman and Weld on the Hammer Factor. Take it away, boys. How Facilli is making up for his insignificance in the world of paddling by creating this shrig thing. He didn't create it, for one thing. Josh Head did, right? Yeah. Well, I can't find it. Also, if you think Fusilli is insignificant in the world of battling, I'm not exactly clear on what standards you're applying there. Yeah, you need to paddle with him once or twice and reevaluate that statement. Your significance in the world of paddling is not like... Yeah, you know, I need. Right, to... What are we doing? We, we, no, these are things we should wrong. talk about on the show. I mean, what I know. Are we doing right, here? We should... This is seriously. This is kooky talk. All right, welcome. Where's to... the street comment? I can't find it, and that's what I'm, something I'm going to say on the show is just please send all the comments to the website, the Hammer Factor email address, because I get them on my phone, I get them on my personal email, I get them on my personal Facebook, I get them on the actual Hammer Factor Facebook page, and I lose them, and. I need yeah. to please help us. Um, welcome to Hammer Factor, episode 63. My name is John Grace, producer of this Whitewater show. On the horn with me, we have Whitewater legend John Weld, policy director for the Outdoor Alliance, Louis Geltman. we got a big show lined up, helmet certification, an update on our good buddy Ryan Zinke, little white race, a little white race recap from Lewis coming in there, what? Fifth, sixth, Lewis? Uh, tied six with Will Pruitt. Tied six. But before we get into the show, this episode of The Hammer Factor is brought to you by the OB Joyful Creek Race. Returning to Colorado June 22nd, 2019. As much as Geltman, Weld, and Grace rag on Colorado boating, they're really just jealous they don't have a clean 400-foot-per-mile creek in their backyard. In fact, Grace was one of the last people to host a race here. (laughs) Let me finish. In in fact, Grace was one of the last people to host a race here. That must be saying something, right? Our current snowpack is at 140% of average, so bust out your shred sled and head out to Crested Butte this June for a wild time. You can learn more by searching OB Joyful Race on Facebook or Google. So, uh, yeah, there you have it. Thanks for those guys reaching out, you know. Uh, normally we only do ads where you where you have to do three, but these guys were like, hey, hook us up. So we hooked them up. Third have you guys, have like you guys run OB Joyful? Anyway. Yeah, I've ran OB Joyful a bunch. I put on a giant slalom race there. Have you, Geltman? Yeah. It's been a hot minute. It's a, run it. it's a sick you see that, that video that's somewhere on the internet of that kid's kayak literally breaking in half on one of the slides? <laughs> that is incredible. Like the most, one of the all-time greatest kayak carnage shots ever. <laughs> there's there's one video of a guy running a waterfall in a liquid logic boat. And it's shot from the river right bank, and the boat gets ejected into orbit, basically, without a person in it. Silver Falls. Is that that's what happened, it is? That's actually happened to multiple people there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that video was actually brought up in a warranty claim with that boat in Liquid Logic. <laughs> she got a hold of the video and was like, no. <laughs> I didn't see the story correctly. What, yeah, what was his graph with also, that? That's also on the kayak video. Kayak Carnage, Mount Rushmore. <laughs> so it's been a minute. 
some wild water boat carnage in there as well. It's been a minute since we last uh, recorded a show. <clears throat> What's been going on? Uh, I don't know. We had a brief but pleasant kayaking season out here. A little way. It's about 24 hours away from dropping out, I would say. What is it? Is it three feet? Yeah, it's about that. Ooh, get out there while you can. Yeah, it's it's been like the worst kayaking season ever. But I'm glad we got a little a little something in there, and we had decent water for the race. We moved the race up like about a month this year. Thank God. Um, you know, we had one year when the race was like three eight, and that was awesome. And besides that, it's been like below three feet for the race almost every year because we were doing it around the World Class Academy schedule because Capo organizes it, and all the kids kind of help out. So moved it up this year. Um, race was last weekend, and it was awesome. Um, good group. Like, Jared absolutely smashed. Just incredible. I mean, he beat Dane by almost 15 seconds, and, like, it was not like Dane had a bad run or, like, I don't know, just really impressive. I was, like, blown away by how spaced out times were at the top of the – the top of the result sheet is uh jared dane todd wells third um what were the times jared i want to say was 1409 14 something um like 15 seconds ahead of dane i think he was 10 seconds ahead of todd you know another 10 seconds back to fourth or fifth where were you where were you at and then I think I was 14.59, so like 50 seconds behind Jared. Yeah, I mean, I like, I like feel like we have a deep field out here. Like everybody's like real good and sort of contemplating how like our, I mean, we obviously don't have as many people as the green race, but like everybody is super solid, you know, like there's no carnage at all. Like everybody's good, but I don't know. I mean, time seemed really spaced out compared to like what you guys get at the green race. So maybe we're not as, and maybe it's just the nature of the beast. I don't know. Longer race. Well, I bet percentage wise, if you did the math, it would be similar, you know, a five minute race versus a 14 minute race. I feel like there's a lot more potential lines on the little way too. I mean, the green race, the, the, the race route is pretty prescribed, right? I mean, yeah. everyone's within a couple inches of the same line for the most yeah. part. Yeah. I really like enjoy the process of sort of geeking out about race lines in a little way. We spent a ton of time just like talking about, you know, every single thing. But at the end of the day, like I, I really don't think that line selection makes that big of a difference. Like if you're having a hard time discerning which line is faster, it's enough whitewater that like paddling the slower line really well is going to be faster than like a B plus line on you know what's hypothetically the faster line yeah. so they did they did a side by side with dane and and gerd's run right at the very end of the party mm -hmm. and it was pretty remarkable right yeah i mean they were basically like tied at island which is probably five minutes into the race and then jared just like pulled away you know what his secret but is don't you <laughs> for a few theories you, you've got that you, I, I sent you that clip of him racing on the stand-up paddleboard didn't I uh, here we go oh god <laughs> hey hey he probably would have been sub 14 without the, the stuffing hey all I'm saying all I'm saying Dane Dane he is a supper as well 
Look at mm-hmm. top, you know. If you want to creep in there, Lewis, age regardless, whatever, get yourself a paddleboard. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Didn't you just spend like five days at like a what appeared to me to be like a whites only SUP paddle fest somewhere? <laughs> the Carolina Cup. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, I what, did. that's what I meant. Everybody there wearing some kind of like surf t shirt and cargo shorts, like possibly a visor. Uh, driving a Sprinter van, I'm gonna guess. You guys probably, are the... probably check, any any check, one check, wheels. Check. <laughs> you you the Sprinter vans galore. Let me add that. Now it bunch was of like bunch of like wiry dudes in their late 40s. <laughs> no, that's not. That's well, there right. are there are some of those dudes, but that is not actually the case. There's dude, it's a sick course, man. You you race around an island. It's a 13 mile race. You have. You're out in the open ocean, swells. You have to go in an inlet. You have to bust out of an inlet through the breakers. There's current, wind to deal with. It's you guys should you guys should get on the train, get up there with Jared and Dane and do people throw you like shakas all the time, or if they pick up on <laughs> shrimp? <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. So what's up with the shrig? You know, we got a comment. Someone sent in a comment, basically asking why Facili was trying to justify his existence in the paddle sports world by creating new terms. Well, he didn't create the term for one thing. I think if you have to ask about Shrig, you'll, you'll never know exactly <laughs> what it means. It's kind of how that works. Shrig. But if you're questioning Dave Facili's paddling ability, I mean, you need to paddle with Dave a couple times and, and reevaluate that, that question. Well, did yeah, you race? That's, that's an ignorant comment. What's that? Did you did you race, John? No. Are you gonna get out there next year? I don't know. I did paddle the other day. It was awesome. Really fun. You know, I paddled with Anna Wagner, who I should give props to. Anna Wagner is one of the female paddlers out here who I mean, it was a small group. It was me, Max, uh, Jake who works for us and Anna, and there was no there was no gender biased whatsoever i mean she is a solid paddler period no conditions um i'll also point out she was in a 9r right which weighs what 45 pounds so mm. i was doing the math on this she probably she's about what five two maybe something like that 120 some pounds so if that's a 45 pound boat that's would be the same as us paddling an almost 70 pound boat down that river if you if you do the same ratio of weight to boat wow Right, I mean, and she's you know, I mean, Gelman, you've seen her out there. She, it's you know, she styles it. Oh yeah, yeah, so, and a sick father. Yeah, Have I don't you... know. There's, there's something to be said about that. No, I agree. I agree. That's uh, I never thought about it like that, but that's a big difference. What about uh, you guys got any nine R two spottings out there? Yeah, Jared raced it. And it looks pretty sick, man. I'm like, I'm intrigued. I, I have a feeling that I'm too big for that boat as like a real full on shit runner, but it looks pretty sweet. It definitely looks a little, like a little more rocker. Like it looks like it's got a little more of that Waka kind of feel to it than the original 9R. Huh. I'm like, um, it looks pretty compelling. I, the boys are the, making it sing. I paddled the 9R a bunch earlier this season, and I weigh about 175, 180 pounds, and I've been paddling a Machno recently. I can tell you my 
strong opinion is that I am too big for that boat. I think if you weigh 175 pounds, that boat is too small for you. For the 9R? For the 9R. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I'll yeah. Agree with that. I think so it's, in case people are wondering, I, that's my opinion on that. It depends where you're paddling it, though, you know? I mean, if you're just, like, running up a yacht or something, you yeah, can definitely okay. want to paddle it, like, 175 for sure. or... For sure. I feel like just paddling the, the Waka boats, and especially that OG, has just, like, ruined me for anything other than the absolute easiest kayak. Right. Like, I mean, the Machno is so easy. I mean, it, is, it almost is cheating. It's, it's cool, too. Like, I've been thinking a lot lately that, you know, like 10 years ago, like a really easy kayak, like a Hefe Grande or something like that was just like mush. And now there's really easy boats like the OG that are still like pretty dynamic and sporty and like do fun, cool things. It's not just like giving up on high performance to have the boat be really easy. What do you think makes that boat so good, Lewis? Is it just wide and sit you up, sit you up high? Is it? I actually don't like the width that much. I think it's just having a ton of rocker, and I think the stern works really well. Like it just has like a really good hard edge in the stern that does some interesting things for you. Hmm. I like. I really. I'm on the the high rocker program. It's like I like it. What other boats are in that genre? Would you say? Um. I don't know. I mean, I think that's the one that takes it the furthest for sure. I mean, the Stout, if you're little, although that has way less rocker than the, the OG. I don't know. I mean, I was just like, I, I loved the Tuna 1. I was kind of lukewarm on the Tuna 2 and the Gangster. Um, but the OG is sick. Back to your race, Lewis. Did you mess up anywhere? Did you have any, any mistakes or did you have a clean run or? It was pretty clean. I like, I feel like my body feels pretty good and I feel pretty good in the boat right now, but I just don't feel like I'm in just like really good shape, to be honest. Like, I feel like we just had such a lousy paddling season that I just haven't paddled as much as I usually have by this point in the year. And uh, I paddled, I have a gangster that I don't paddle very much. And I paddled it for like the week before the race, intending to race it. Cause I really think that boat, I mean, it is a lot faster on flat water and it has way less rocker and it comes out of drops way flatter. And I paddled it all week and I was just like getting kind of frustrated with it. And I kind of decided that I was just not in good enough shape to like keep that boat running fast the whole time. And that I'd be faster in like an easy boat and just not make any mistakes. And it's just so easy easy to keep the bow dry in that OG and like just kind of keep the boat popping along that I decided to race that at the kind of the last minute and I guess I was just sort of like you know like if I have a race run and I look back on that run and I'm like the only thing I could have done to go faster was paddle a faster kayak like I'll be pretty happy with that run you know yeah truth there I mean it's just long it's like you just there's so much time in, you know, not like making mistakes so much. It's just like whether you're able to just keep the boat popping all the time and like keep your bow dry and skip out of every drop and like kind of setting yourself up for success that way, I think is the way to go, at least at my fitness level. That's for time on the paddleboard. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get into it. Uh, Lewis, so I mean, Zinke just keeps winning. It doesn't matter. Even when he loses, he wins. So we just had this article. Zinke is such a piker, man. He's not winning. <laughs> it's just like... 
this would be the point in the show where we would like 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 the daily show we would start playing back clips of lewis's <laughs> praise for zinky Oh my you know, god! Just, showing, just, just doing the the real. I'm so <laughs> I'm so gotta, glad we have that on file. You know, you gotta, it's just gonna get more valuable over time. It's like, look, this is the world we live in, right? It's like, like we're not gonna get like the second coming of Stuart Udall. It's gonna be. It's like that's not who Donald Trump is gonna appoint the Secretary of the Interior. I don't. We think, had, I don't we think he's had high hopes for Ryan Zinke, and he let us down big time. And now he's off working for a gold company, apparently. And who's the acting secretary now? <laughs> uh, David Bernhardt was just confirmed. Okay. He sounds like another <laughs> another wonderful pick. I just think it's funny, <laughs> the transition of... I mean, you predicted this precisely, Lewis, but you kind of made not... Your, your prediction wasn't entirely accurate because you said if he just would have kept his head down and he just would have wrote it out and not just been so over-the-top corrupt, he would have got one of these sweet gigs just consulting for some firm and, you know, just get paid to go do whatever. Well, I mean, he got let go. He totally screwed up, and he still won. I mean, he's getting a hundred grand a year. to what's it, what, what does he do? What does a job like that do, Lewis, a guy like him now? What's he get paid that hundred grand for? It's, it's not exactly clear to me, to be honest. I mean, I'm guessing that it's to go back and try to influence his former colleagues in a, you know, to do what, to do the bidding of these, these mining companies, which is, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I just, I mean, what can you say? It's like, it's exactly what you expect to happen. It's disgusting. It's, uh, yeah, it's disgusting. I mean, Elizabeth Warren, I think, has introduced legislation to prevent people from doing this, which, like, thank God. But, I mean, who knows if that would ever... Uh, well, she's you know, a hysterical really liberal, so I don't think we could take that... I will not hear a bad word <laughs> spoken about Elizabeth Warren on this podcast. <laughs> oh, yes. Now we can have some fun. <laughs> she's going to be on every show from here on out. Uh, what else, Lewis? What's going on on the... Uh you know, outdoor Alliance policy front. Oh, I mean, we're, we're pretty keen to try to kind of follow up on the success of this public lands package with some more recreation policy focused legislation, in this Congress. And it seems like there's an appetite to do that. Um, that recreation, not red state bill that I've talked about on here in the past. And it was something that we were pushing hard to get into the lands package, but couldn't quite get in there. Um, you know, I think that's going to get reintroduced this month and, you know, it's something we're keen to work on a bunch. Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee had a, a hearing on recreation issues about a month ago. Tom O'Keefe from American Whitewater got invited to testify, which is awesome. He killed it. I saw that. Um, yeah, so just kind of trying to build on that. Uh, I'm going to D.C. tomorrow. Go meet with ENR committee staff, talk about some of these legislative ideas we have in the pipeline. And yeah. I don't know. Expect to hear more as the summer goes on. Hey, I got something. So, you know, the recreation, not red tape that you guys mm -hmm. have been working on, you know, on a federal level, mm -hmm. you know yeah. what? There needs to be some way to replicate that on the state and local level. You know, there needs to be some kind of way to, because there's so much, like I work with NC wildlife a lot around mm -hmm. the green. Um, and I recently did a project up at Brakes Interstate Park where they got an awesome land manager and they're introducing climbing and, and whatnot. 
but it seems like there should be some way to, I don't know, connect those pieces, have something for like someone who wants to uh, put in a mountain bike trail or do something there where they can take this piece of knowledge and help them educate whoever the land manager is of that area. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think, I believe North Carolina just hired a, uh, hired somebody to be the like state office of outdoor recreation there. And I mean, that should be like squarely in that person's job description. We should, uh, we should get you guys connected. Yeah, for sure. I just thought that was, I mean, I, it, we do, uh, like a race on the French broad and a few other things on the national level where we get permits, but like most of it's on the, you know, on a more local level. And I was like, man, I want to cite this stuff that's going on, but it's never, you know, presented to these, to that level of government. So something to yeah, put, totally. something to put in your bonnet. There. No, that, that makes a ton of sense to me. You should, you should connect with whoever the, the new state office person is. Oh man. Okay. Uh, whew, where do we go from here, man? Are we over time yet? <laughs> <laughs> We're out of practice. Should we just get right into the paddle stuff? I feel like if we take like we take like two months off and then dive right into paddle length and offset, people are going to be like, "We're over this stupid podcast." I just I fear that we're going to. Suffice to say that people continue to ask us about paddle paddle offset and length, and I think we've said everything we need to say about it. We did get a couple questions about paddles that were not related to paddle offset and that was one was about gala sport paddles geltman which you use yes uh, and this came from josh uh josh gerstner and uh, the question is directed to the slalom and gala sport corner of the room lewis can a standard slalom paddle live up to long-term whitewater use the gala, the gala sport manic looks uh, good for racing but i was looking at their other options saw the new meg blade it's more neutral without the forward blade offset, like the Odachi. Um, have you tried this one? Can you share any experience with Gallo Sports uh, MCQ construction, either straight or if you bring yourself to ergonomic or bench shaft? Anyway, you get the point. What do you think? Yeah, I would not use a slalom paddle for creaking for and expect any kind of longevity out of that. Like they're just not built for that. I mean, they're they're super light and they're super stiff, and like you're gonna snap it. And if you don't snap it, the edges on the blades are like super thin to get that really nice touch on the water. And you're just going to like, you're going to beat it up super, super quickly. So unless you are down to, you know, go through several paddles every year and suppose have, a nice, you once... have a nice breakdown you don't mind using <laughs> occasionally, I would not recommend trying to use a slalom paddle for creaking. So suppose you want some of that slalom magic in a whitewater paddle from Gala Sport. What, what paddle would you choose from them? The manic. I mean, that's that's what that paddle is. Is a slalom blade, you know, slightly adapted and built in a heavier, more creaking appropriate construction. And that's what I use, and they're awesome. We had another question from Travis. Uh, <clears throat> he wanted to get clarification on the bench shaft because he went to a local paddle store to get a paddle and. Staff there quickly informed him that bench shafts are dead and they should listen to the podcast. <laughs> Sorry on that. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, here, so I, I thought I should get some clarification on that because I'm the one who declared Suck this it, to be paddle. the case. <laughs> um, you know, I think in, this guy. I think this guy had uh, some kind of, um, you know, tendonitis or something. But 
I think if, if you don't have any injuries or you're not prone to tendonitis, I don't I don't think you need a bench shaft. I don't think there's any advantage to a bench shaft, and there's nothing but downsides. But if you extend your hand forward like you're taking a paddle stroke, like I said, your right hand forward, you can see if it's a straight shaft and you're starting to pull on that paddle, your pinky is doing uh, getting the brunt of that first part of the stroke. You know, the pinky's really extended. If you're going to maintain a grip on it, you're getting a, a weird disproportionate pull in your in your pinky side of your hand as you start the stroke. And bench shafts address that. Um, I went to a bench shaft early on because when I used to start teaching kayaking in the spring, I'd paddle a ton. I'd always get tendonitis, and that fixed it. Um, but that was pretty unique circumstances. I feel like I mean, it's the opposite, though. Like, aren't you kind of like like releasing your pinky a little bit and pulling hard with your index finger? Either one. You could phrase it either way. In either way, it's putting it's not allowing your grip to be equal on the paddle at the start of the paddle, which is where most of the force is. And I think it's questionable, personally, that bench shaft saws that. But I'd, I'd offer Travis, I'd say, hey, get a, you know, I don't know what kind of paddle exactly he's using, but rather than think about that, maybe try a smaller blade or make sure the, the paddle has a, uh, a fiberglass shaft so it's got a little more flex. You know, there's, yeah. some, there's some other things in there. I will say I have an Odachi bench shaft, and the Odachi has, you know, a big offset, meaning, mm. you know, the blade is set back from the paddle shaft. It's not directly in line with the paddle shaft, like the center of the blade. And that is weird. It's just weird. And you get a lot of flutter with a paddle. I would never, I would not get an Adachi bench shaft again, for sure. I think Adachis with that amount of offset should be completely relegated to straight shaft. If you have to get a bench shaft, get something like a Shogun. No, that makes sense. I think Dane uses an Adachi bench shaft. He makes it work. Yeah, I mean that's not that's <laughs> much of a, of a you know, testament though. Uh, make it look good probably i heard he did he did one of those flips off of spirit which just blows my mind oh we gotta yeah. we gotta talk God, about that we not talk about that but, yeah i mean come on i'll find the link and put that in the show notes if for some reason you haven't seen this but this just blew me away i mean it's a cobra flip um a move invented by annie all and anyway just he just stuck the dog Peters out of that thing off of spirit. And it's just amazing to watch. I watched it over and over and over. I mean, how do you describe that? Like what happened? Were either of you there that day? I was in the pool at spirit. So describe what you saw Lewis firsthand. I saw Dan come over the lip upside down and then right side up and then disappear into the mist. And I heard his hull hit the pool. <laughs> 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 it was yeah it was sick man i mean i i like almost never run spirit and i so rarely paddle away from that drop with my body feeling as good as it did on the paddle in and if i landed if i tried to do something like that you'd be like pulling my shoulders out of chaos like one at a time <laughs> you know <laughs> like just to like to be able to like take that hit have the confidence to know that you're gonna you know pull that thing around just like it's so visually compelling just like all of it is sick just super super cool progression man i so would have just landed on my head yeah <laughs> i would have blacked out i just would have blacked out at the top and just like gone unconscious <laughs> <laughs> i quit i give up i give up curled up the poison oak in the fetal position crying oh. i don't want to go off spirit upside down uh, all right well we got to finish travis's email he's he says um 
uh, good email, Travis. Thanks for sending this in. He says, here's my rant and rave. I just finished that episode with Dave Facilia and Weed, and I cannot believe inbred culture of booty beers did not get involved with the conversation. I quit drinking years ago, but even when I would drink puddle water, if I spilled my whiskey in it, I thought that booty beers embarrassed the kayaking culture as a whole. Maybe it's just because they are drunk after the run that it did not get brought in but I am much more into hanging out with some stoners than watching people drink pass, paps out of smelly footwear. Anyway, thanks for the show. Um, I have to be honest. The booty beer thing has escaped me. I, I've never been paddling with people who take it that seriously. Do you guys hang with those crowds? Oh, yeah. That's, Do you? I, I, I feel like it's a relatively new tradition in the world of whitewater, like in the last 20 years. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I just never. But I think it's a. I think it's great. I'm like 100 percent in favor of the booty, booty beer, and they should be enforced upon people. And if you don't drink, you should have to do a booty milk or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's safe. We brought the doctor on to discuss that. So, right. Um, <laughs> I like this one from Mike Kuriak. I've been listening for a few days and at this point I'm more confused than anything. <laughs> you, <laughs> you guys seem utterly certain about increasing blade offset and discarding bent shafts, yet no one of Yins has offered a shred of empirical evidence or data to back up your assertions. I disagree, Mike. We have offered evidence that prove the contrary. But we're sticking by our assertions, or at least I am. <laughs> uh, this is one we really haven't talked about. This comes. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna beat through these paddles. Paddle off. Oh God. And this is it. Oh, God. I mean, we've. They're all coming in. You know, we can't just like ignore this faction of the Hammer Factor. Okay. I can hear the people. Right, tuning out. Turning off right now. Going over to Joe Rogan. I'm just, I'm just envision, envisioning the like skip 15 seconds ahead button that you get on your. Podcast on the phone. Go ahead, guys. Try and make it 15 seconds exactly. That way, people can hit the button. Yeah. <laughs> we can get right into some of the more important topics here. Um, this comes at us from uh, Matt Swanson. He talks about um, small shaft paddles, which we haven't really ever talked about much. He, he says, I used the standard shaft for years, but developed a significant issues with tennis elbow. Um, this could maybe answer um, our first um, listener's question here. Um, but I, it was resolved after switching to a small shaft. So that's that's good. Um, Werner's narrow shaft is nicely indexed, unlike the standard shaft. Interesting. I've been paddling hard on my narrow um, shaft Shogun for about three years and haven't had a shaft break yet. Cheers. So there's Matt. Justin McQueen, he says, uh, what episode did you explain the paddle offset metric? You guys are famous, infamous for going on and on about. I'm 6'3 and just ordered a 204 centimeter Werner powerhouse, longer than I've had in the past, and I'm hoping I didn't blow it by ordering it with a 30 degree feather. Is the offset metric that you guys talk about interchangeable with feather, or is it the offset metric that tells us how the blade is oriented to the center line of the shaft? We discussed that on part two episodes ago. The offset is where the paddle, the center of the paddle shaft, the center of the blade is relative to the paddle shaft. Sometimes we, it's directly in line, sometimes it's set back a little bit. And the feather we, is we the miss, we, it, we mix yeah. those terms constantly. Yeah, right. that was what somebody had wrote us in to correct us about. Yeah, they were right. Um, were so I have an idea here. I think 
if you want personalized paddle advice, you can email us and just get an individual response if you're a Patreon subscriber. <laughs> you get access to the pre-show and we'll tell you what paddle you should use. And we the don't have to talk pretty about racy. anymore. <laughs> yeah, the pre-show got out of hand this morning. Um Justin, I think you're good. 6'3", 204, 30 degree. I use, I'm six foot. I use a 203, 30 degree. So, there you go. All right, we're done with paddle talk. Thank you. Thank God. Whew. Um, man, so, where do I go from here? So, the strategic outburst reserve, this was sent to us. Uh, <laughs> these guys, I love these guys. Um. If you didn't hear about this or need to be brought up, there is a Facebook group that was created called the Dagger Outburst Strategic Reserve Coalition. Okay, and this coalition is all about trading what this group considers the greatest kayak ever made. And I really like this. This was sent to us. Will Hubs posts this. 1,100 miles and 17 hours of driving later, and the outburst got to go on its maiden voyage. Stoked to join the Strategic Outburst Reserve Coalition. Guys, get you a girl that is willing to travel with you for a boat and cheesesteaks and who will listen to 17 hours of the Hammer Factor podcast with you. Dear Lord. (laughs) (laughs) We want to get... That's like a a Guantanamo Bay scenario (laughs) where you're just like torturing somebody with like waterboarding and hammer factor podcasts god damn 17 hours in the car to buy an outburst yeah it's amazing you know? i wonder if the outburst i was thinking about this is going to fall like the wayside of the tornado or the rpm as as new boats come onto the scheme so you know the I don't know if you know this, but there was a period of time where 16-year-old tornadoes were going for like $900 here around Asheville because it was like the best boat. And finally, someone talked Prion into bringing a container of new ones over. And so they did it, and just about the time that shipment landed, Dagger came out with the green boat, and all of a sudden no one wanted a tornado. Kind of the same thing with the RPM and the party brap and the ripper and whatnot i wonder if there's going to be a boat that just brings down this strategic outburst reserve coalition i think you could make like a 10 foot party brap that would actually be a pretty compelling kayak i do too i mean i think if you're a designer of a kayak you need to listen to these guys if you're driving 17 hours 1100 miles to go get a boat that's 15 years old because the market can't offer you anything even close Hmm. Grace, what's up with that that dagger, the Vanguard? Is that what they're calling it? There's like, are they making a ten foot boat, or is that a new green boat? Uh, I think it's a new green boat. I don't know the links or the specs on it. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I'm trying to get my hands on one. I'm trying to get my hands on one of those and a nine R two. So I think the does anyone paddle that pod boat that walk a pod boat yet? I've yet to see one of these in person. No, they're they're about. Um, the boys seem like they like them. I haven't paddled it yet. It seems like it's not quite as easy as the OG and the stern without the pod seems a little, a little on the big side, like not just spinning around your bow in the air, but it seems like it does some worthwhile things. I've been meaning to try it for mainly for podcast content. Yeah, dude, get out there and give us, give us an update, Lewis. I really want to hear. I'm so lazy about paddling new boats. Like the problem for me is that I'm just so 
particular about my outfitting that I know if I just borrow somebody else's boat and like throw a pair of flip flops in for hip pads, I'm just going to have a shitty day on the river. <laughs> and it makes me not want to paddle new kayaks. I'm, I'm such the opposite. I sat that mock and just paddled it as is. Dude, I love yeah. trying. I love trying That's new the boats. That's way. <laughs> I love trying new boats. I love trying new old boats. Like a boat that was made 10 years ago that I never paddled. Yeah, I I wish I did, but I don't. <laughs> Harry Watson. Boats keep, boats keep getting better and better. That's kind of the problem. And you go back and you have fond memories. Like Kara has this dream of getting a... Uh, uh, What's that? What's that Clay Wright Creek boat? The Java. The Java. She has this uh, idea in her head that if she can just paddle the Java again, it'll answer all of her creaking problems. And I suspect she's going to get on that thing and be like, <laughs> "Dear Lord, this is a disaster." I, I wonder the same thing about the Outburst. I'd love to paddle one of those because I have fond memories of that boat too. But I bet compared to a Ripper or a Brap, it's it's no fun. It's the Outburst stands the test of time better than you might think. Like I've paddled one on the Potomac a handful of times in the last you know, recent years and like, it's like pretty damn fast and pivots pretty well. It's like, it's a pretty good boat. Dude, there's room, there's room for that. You know, I paddled the French broad at like 20 grand the other day and I was in a party brap and some of the guys were in like modern, uh, short play boats and whatnot. And it's kind of flushed out, but there's 10 or 15, just great hit on the fly waves. And it was amazing how many of them, that we could hit that the guy in the proper wave surfing boat never had a chance to get on or mm. you, you'd hit one, you know, and there'd be another one like downstream, but you'd have to ferry to the other side of the river. We could get off the wave, roll up or whatever, and make it over to the other one. He was missing them. So I can see like an outburst would just kind of, if it still wouldn't pearl and fit on the wave could even make that process easier. That boat is, is on my sh- the outburst is on my short list of like Grand Canyon boat recommendations. Mm, see, I could see that like, being where there are those like big fast waves that are just a little too fast for a shorter boat. I, think I you remember get a, you get a lot of waves in outburst on the Grand. I was on Team Dagger back in the 1920s and 30s, and uh, <laughs> I remember they were coming out with geez some new boat, and Joe Pulliam from Dagger called me and asked me what I thought and at the time I was paddling an outburst and I was like you don't the outburst is really as good as the boat you could ever make I'm not sure why you make another one <laughs> I was joking but I was kind of half being serious at the time I mean I really did love that boat but we'll see I'd have to try it again dude the outburst is gonna talk is gonna end up like the paddle talk we're gonna have to alright this comes out of the outburst there's hardly any out there I mean you know the illusion the, the the illusion that these are great boats even if you know true or not can can maintain because there's, there's so few out there and as as snowy pointed out the the mold is gone right yeah it's, it's not like the rpm i think that genre yeah the the 10 foot boat is going to be that's going to be the new long boat Somebody... like I, I i bet you people are going to start making them soon it's going to happen the 10r the 10r the 10r would be sick i think a 10 foot slicey boat would be sick it's gonna happen. Except slicey boat would be sick. The only thing that's hard is, I think we have this perception that we want longer boats because we spent so much time paddling composite boats, and when you're paddling a plastic boat and there's all that weight in the ends, I think there's a limit to how long you can make the boat without it starting to get 
sluggish. But I think I think a ten foot boat would be sick. Yeah, I don't think ten foot's anywhere close to that though. You know, I think that. I mean, I, I we'll see what happens. We'll see what what the manufacturers decide to do. But I would I would jump all over a ten foot boat. The they should just call it the outburst too. Um, Harry Watson comes at us. I won't read all of Harry's email, but he talks about, and he attached some pictures and some things that talk about every single kayak that's shipped is wrapped in plastic. And he basically, there was a big, long Facebook thread about this. And, you know, on down the line, I mean, what are you guys' thoughts on that? You know, you, the, the boats, you have a plastic boat that's wrapped in plastic to get shipped somewhere. And as soon as they pull it out, they pull that plastic off and that plastic is no longer used or anything like that. You know, what do you guys think about that? Can I get a plug in here for IR? Come on, go for it. I got a permission. I'll, I'll bill you we, later. We are on a full, a full tilt or a full bore mission to get rid of plastic and all of our packaging. And so our spray screws for years have been packaged in reusable grocery bags. We just take scrap fabric from our factory and they have, you know, all these factories have thousands of yards of, of fabric laying around from years past we cut them to grocery bags our dry suits now come in re repurposed billboards uh into like an ikea tote bag that is that are that are sewn by blind people kid you not they're sewn at a blind center down the road from us um and so that instead of a plastic bag you'll get your dry suit wrapped up in an ikea billboard bag and then our shorts this year are coming in a reusable lunch bag, um, like a lunch bag. I think it's unconscionable that we continue to, you know, send as much plastic out into the, into the, into the world as an industry. I really do. Right. I mean, just t take your boats beat up or scratched up and deal with it. Years ago, Liquid Logic used to use uh, mesh, right? That cheesecloth. That cheesecloth, yeah. I don't know what happened with that. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's any better than plastic, to be honest, environmentally. Yeah, they use like a fiberglass, like a like that that black fabricy stuff. Now it's not in plastic. But dude, I'm with you 100. percent I'm I'm all about just banning single use plastic, man. I went to Puerto sure. Rico since the last time that we 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 spoke. I went first time. Chelsea, my wife, and I have been away from the kids since our twins were born. Three years, just us. Went to Puerto Rico. Beautiful place, you know. Whatever. There was this, you know, we were out snorkeling on this great, you know, coral reef. You know, you dive down. You're like, whoa, what is that? And you go down and it's like, you know, an old bottle, you know, a plastic bottle with sand in it and shit. You know, and it's like you go down the rivers around here and it's like, you just can't escape it, man. Ban that stuff. Just ban it. Yeah. You got anything Agreed. to add? You got anything to add on that one, Lewis? I don't. I mean, how do we how do we operationalize this? We start calling out whitewater companies. What are we doing here? I mean, I think we've done it just now. Like, I think it's going to be pretty much if you start shipping your boat in plastic, you know, you're going to go along the same route as Zinky. You know, you're going to get a shirt. You know, you don't want a shirt. No. You know, so there's other solutions out there. Good on you, John. That's really cool stuff, man. Yeah. Seriously, uh, this grocery I mean, bag. I, I use those grocery bags constantly. That's like, yeah. Marshall. Yeah, it's, it's, it's disappointing. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Marshall. Great show. Keep it up. 
I'm going to be moving to Tennessee, most likely Nashville area, somewhat soon, and I was wondering if there are any Class 3-4 runs in that area. Alternatively, a good Tennessee guidebook would suffice. Thanks, Marshall. There are some good Tennessee guidebooks. Kirk Edelman makes a really good one. Look that up. If you're moving to Asheville, you're going to be close to Rock Island and the Plateau. The Ocoee will be within striking range, and there are all kinds of good whitewater options right around there. So... American Whitewater has a really good river page, so I'd I'd check that out and get. Why don't cur- you give them your uh, home phone number? You can just. Dude, it's uncanny how many. And this is something I want to say. Did I already say this? If you're gonna write into the Hammer Factor, love all the listener mail. I mean, we all get a kick out of this. But and we all we try to come up with a good answer to everything. You know, for instance, we had some really good comments coming in on helmets, and we have Tom Sherburn, um, founder and owner of Shreddery Helmets, who's coming on to try and answer it here in a little bit. But please just send them to the Hammer Factor email on the website. They get lost on my personal Facebook page. There's personal text messages come in. People hit me up on Instagram, um, and we mo- and I lose them, like the whole you know Shrig thing on Facility and some other things. I lose them. So anyway, that's my. That's my uh, my request to the Hammer Factor listeners. Amos Ludwig. Now, this is a long one, but we had an episode a while back where we had, was it Doc Rocco? Yeah, this is like a year ago or more. Yeah, we had Doc Rocco on to talk about Lyme's disease. We were going to kind of leave this one off, but it, we're getting into Lyme's disease season right now. And essentially, Doc Rocco said, hey, you get Lyme disease, you go get a Roundup antibiotics, and you don't have Lyme disease anymore. John, you were talking about um, someone you know, and I believe it's the same person. Is that correct? It, it was indeed Amos, yeah. He yeah. was right. He, 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 he suggested that was the case, and he's correct. Okay. So Amos Ludwig writes in, and he basically goes into some of his experience and some various things. I'm going to take this email and put it in the show notes so you can look it over. He has some, I don't know, I'd call it conflicting um, opinion here with Doc Rocco. But Lyme disease is a tricky thing. If you got a tick on you, be careful taking it off. I feel like in some ways, like what Doc Rocco was talking about was it was – it was almost like like a usage. It's like how are we using the term Lyme's disease or something? Because it just seems like like unquestionable that there are people who get Lyme disease and then suffer like horrific lifelong symptoms of that. And like just because those guys can't explain how that's working exactly, it's like yeah, you can say that they, like they don't quote have Lyme disease anymore, but like something happened stemming from that Lyme disease that is just like fucking people up and like pretending that you're just going to solve it with a round of antibiotics is not doing anybody any favors, you know? Yeah. It's, it seems uh, like the medical community is being a little dismissive of those people. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Should we get into the PFD stuff? We got a couple of weird questions about PFDs. <sighs> um, well, I told Tom we'd have him on it too. So it's two. When do right. we turn into like dear Abby, get to come up with some <laughs> content of our own. <laughs> Sure. Um, I'm gonna redouble my efforts here from zero to something. <laughs> Sweet. That's very really, <laughs> that's that that makes me feel good. I think it's yeah, we need to This is just a warm up. We're gonna get the get back on our game here. I feel like whenever I think about 
how much we've run out of things to say, I'm reminded that we have barely scratched the surface of people worth having on the podcast. Right. Like there's so many, like, I feel like I'm done. I haven't said anything useful in like a year and a half, but <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of good people we could have on still. I like prying salty opinions out of you. That's fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm good for one of those or every once in a while for sure. <laughs> Um, all right. Do you want to read this email while I get? Well, we should actually wait till I get Tom on here because we're gonna have to reread it to him. I'm I have a Tom in a hot minute. Um, okay. I got some questions for Tom too. I got a question for you. Um, yeah, I do too. Every time this happens and we have a pause like this, do you know what it means for me? work I tried to fill for a second there but without success Tom you there yeah I'm here alright welcome to the show we have Tom Sherburn founder and owner of Shred Ready Helmets thanks for coming on man yeah no problem what's up dude what's up Tom hey hey Lewis and John so let's get right into this, Tom. Are you on the road? You're on your you're on your road to uh, Colorado. Is that what I heard? Yeah, I'm heading out, uh, heading back to Colorado. Uh, I relocated uh, about a year and a half ago to Slida, and uh, just racing back to to go on a Dolores multi day trip. Dolores nice. multi day, nice one, dude. Yeah. How's how's Slida yeah. these days? Has it changed much? Don't ever go there. <laughs> yeah. It's just like Asheville. Yeah, this place it's sucks. Horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's just like oh, that. It's great. It's just like that mountain biking in DuPont. It was horrible, wasn't it, Tom? Yeah, yeah, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. So was Fire Mountain. That place was horrible too. Well, none of this can be any worse than this shithole. <laughs> <laughs> so. This comes at us. All right, Tom, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready, man. All right, this comes at us from Joshua Wilder. Um, the subject, MIPS Helmets. He says, after reading about the recent death of Sean Manchester, AW reported it as a head injury concussion, and thinking about all of the other times that our heads could and thinking about all of the times that our heads could interact and have interacted with rocks, why isn't the MIPS system an option in whitewater helmets? It's avail available for climbing, biking, snow sports, dirt bikes, motorcycles, every sport that requires a helmet besides whitewater helmets. And, and could I even add something onto this? I, I have a sure. biking helmet, and I don't know about you guys, but in my, like, past 20 years i've never taken a hard hit to my biking helmet cross fingers but i have taken at least three or four blows to my kayaking helmet which would have killed me if i were not wearing a helmet um yeah. and there's no doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason or certification or anything behind helmet design and that has always puzzled me and to okay. pile one more thing on here i i think nips is I'm, I question whether that's real. Well, let's start with what is MIPS. 
Uh, you want me to answer that question? Yeah, please. No, we're going to go ahead and talk, and we need you to just listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys are so knowledgeable, you know? I mean, you're so opinionated and knowledgeable, so I thought I would defer. Uh, What's your paddle length and um, offset before we get into this, Tom? <laughs> oh, I'm paddling right now with an Odachi. I think it's a 30 degree or a 45. I'm not sure. I don't. It doesn't really matter what your offset is if you know how to kayak, you know? So, <laughs> well, we'll get into this later. You can, you know, you don't even need a paddle, right? You can just paddle with your hands if you want. If, uh, is it over? 30 is, degrees right now. I is think. it over 200 I centimeters? I don't think it is. It might be 202. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know all these technical details about my gear. <laughs> Okay. It, it has a it has two blades and a bit shaft, and it, the Adachi is really a sick paddle. I really love it, man. It's really nice. So anyway, we we dive paddle with some Gala Sport or whatever Lewis has, you know, some newfangled. <laughs> we digress. What is MIPS? <laughs> uh, MIPS is a uh, is multiple multiple direction impact protection system it's meant to reduce uh energy uh impact energy that would be at an angle to the helmet instead of straight down so a rotational force uh a lot of brain injuries and concussion and things like that are caused by not by like a direct hard impact but by the the brain kind of sloshing around inside your head and tearing uh, neurons and fibers and, and uh, so it uh, attempts to reduce that rotational force by putting what's called a low friction layer in a helmet so and my question that, about this that, is i i buy i believe in theory that this makes sense but like it, if you're it's like your helmet's not really stuck to your head that well to begin with right and it's like you have hair and like if you hit your helmet at kind of a glancing blow, the helmet slides way more than I imagine this like inner yeah, layer yeah. Of sliding. Exactly. Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly. You know, helmets. If you can kind of think of a helmet as kind of mimicking your skull as like <clears throat> a as a second skull almost. You know, so if you uh, you have your brain inside and then you have your your cerebrospinal fluid and then the dura mater uh, and then and on top of your skull, you have your skin, and your skin moves around on top of your skull. Like, you know, put your fingers up on your head, and you can feel your skin moving around a little bit, and your hair, too. So you do, uh, and the and the, and the MIPS kind of just tries to uh, kind of mi mimic that, you know, slippage, I guess, is, is the better, uh, the, that slip against the internal uh, energy-absorbing foam in the helmet and your head. So I guess so I, I, I sort of have seen what the like lab tests look like for this, and it seems a little a little off from what you would actually experience in the wild. Like, do you believe that this actually makes a difference? Uh, you know, as far as their lab test results, I don't know. Uh, I don't have any concrete data or experience with like real life. Uh, experiences but from their data it definitely uh you know reduces the g-forces on a rotational impact so man so clarify what a rotational impact is is that just when your head hits and your head spins really fast 
No, it's uh, yeah. Kind of think of it like a you know like um. Uh, so the how how can I say this? So kind of a whipping action of your head, I guess. So or just uh, think about like a like a glancing blow kind of that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. A glancing blow is exactly where like you know in some accidents like I've seen some uh some work or some research done by a guy at uh, David Halstead at the Southern Impact Research Center out of, I think it's associated with the University of Tennessee, and where you'll get a helmet and you'll get, and it'll have no damage to it that's been in an accident, and the person is, you know, really messed up. They have a severe, uh, you know, traumatic brain injury, and but there'll be no damage to the helmet. And you're like, what's going on? And he, he did some studies where uh, he would uh, put a helmet on a, on a helmet testing rig. And instead of using a fixed head form, they put the head form on what's called a biopedalic neck. It's basically a, an arm that's able to flex. Uh, so when the helmet hits the, uh, the anvil or the, uh, the, the rock, I guess, in the, the fake rock, I guess, or the scientific rock, that uh, the the neck, it, it kind of mimics the action of the neck. And he's shown some really big G-forces experienced on the, like, by using that biofidelic neck, he's able to show some really big G-forces experienced by your brain, but almost no damage to the helmet. So, uh, and... Uh, so that's kind of the concept. Is this this? Uh, if you can imagine, like you're 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 falling and and you know you kind of stop and your head goes forward and like glances across the rock or something. Uh, that rotational force, uh, you know, kind of your brain is kind of sloshing. Your brain is kind of floating around in your skull. You know, it's it's not fixed to anything. It's in that cerebral spinal fluid and and as as the uh, the and it has the consistency of kind of like jello, and so as that rotational force on your brain happens, it tears the neurons and mm. and your tissues, and that's uh, what they're trying to get around by adding this low friction layer. Interesting. So my take on this is that paddle sports is just too poor and stupid to institute any of this. And that all well, this no, fancy head actually, protection is for like real sports with like real people. Yeah, that's the kind of neat. That's the kind of neat thing about the company Mips is uh, it's kind of an outgrowth of a of a think tank in a, a university in Sweden, I believe. And uh, it's and as a company, it's kind of cool because they're just adding a you know uh, they they talk about uh, as their their low friction layer as an, an ingredient to the recipe for a helmet. So uh, it's actually pretty reasonably priced uh, as far as putting it in a helmet. Uh, you, you know, you buy the parts from MIPS themselves, and, and uh, they do a bunch of testing as well to ensure that everything's right. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's not – they've already done the upfront research. And, and uh, the main issue that, you know, I've always been interested in putting MIPS from the very beginning into a helmet. But the, the one issue that uh, I always saw was uh, kayaking is a little bit different than other sports like snowboarding or bicycling. You know, you're upside down in the river and you take a hit and, you know, you 
maybe you don't roll up and you take another hit and then you bounce down another rapid and you bang your head again. And uh, I'm not, you know, and you want your helmet to be snug and in place. And the way the low friction layer is added to the helmet is by uh, saying kind of picture an internal shell that's hooked to the, to the EPS or the EPP foam by a little rubber bands, basically. So an elastomer that stretches and moves. And I've just never been really comfortable, uh, you know, like if that first hit it's fine on, but you know, is the helmet out of place or is your head exposed a little bit ah. when the second hit happens or the third hit happens? I see. And, and so that, and also, you know, just, I just don't trust little rubber bands not breaking. So, um, so, you know, if you're, it, so if you're upside down and, and you take a big hit and the rotational force is big enough to snap one of those bands, then you're kind of, you know, SOL after that point. And, uh, they do have some other solutions and, uh, and that are, that aren't really available to the public yet. So, uh, that are kind of some military uh, applications that we're looking at right now. So interesting. So, as a helmet designer, I mean, what is there any regulations in the U.S. for helmet design, or and and how do you? I mean, I know with life jackets, you have UL approval, which is a pretty stringent set of rules to how to make a life jacket, which also protects you from most, if not all, liability issues when, with UL approval on it. How do where do helmets stand in that regard? So, uh, for, you know, U.S. standards are, uh, you know, bike is governed by the Consumer Products Safety Commission, I believe, CPSC. Mm -hmm. And uh, snow is done through the American Standards and Testing Measurement Society, ASTM. Mm -hmm. And both of those are, uh, bike helmets are mandatory for the CPSC uh, approval. But everything else is, but it's all voluntarily. You know, they give you the protocol, you test it in your labs, you test every time you produce, uh, a, you know, a, a, you, do, you do a production run and you take a, a sampling of the helmets and you test them and make sure that they uh, pass the standard. For whitewater, it's a little bit different. Uh, there's only one standard and it's called CE 1385. Uh, it's a European standard and uh, it's a one-time kind of test. In other words, to get the, the certificate, then uh, you, you have to send it to a third part, your samples to a third party lab, they approve it, and then you go through a, what's called a notified body. That notified body gets you the approval to put the CE mark on your helmets. And, and that's uh, mandatory for sales in Europe? That's mandatory for sales in Europe, right. Mm -hmm. But not in the we, US. We do it with, not in the U.S., but it's kind of become the standard of care now, you know. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, nobody was doing it, and we started doing it now. Uh, yeah, everybody does it. So, but it's a fairly uh, simple, I wouldn't call it simple, but uh, compared to, like, uh, bike or snow, the drop heights and the energy levels are much lower. And um, <laughs> so... Uh, well, uh, when, when you think about helmet testing standards, you have to, uh, they're, 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 they're premised around the idea of the head dropping straight onto some hard object. So that height, so you're sitting on a bicycle, if you just fell off your bike and hit your head, you would, you know, drop what, I don't know, 
a, a meter and a half, two meters. Whereas, like in a kayak, you're sitting on your butt and you fall over, you know, into the water, and it's not as great a distance from your head to the ground. So that that is the, the kind of is the lower energy level part of it. So. Interesting. But you know, falling off a 50 foot waterfall onto a rock is probably, uh, yeah. In that case, I don't think anything is. If you took a direct hit to your head off a 50 footer, you know, you probably wouldn't survive. You know, so. Tom, so, have you seen those? Yeah. Have you seen these new uh, Trek bike helmets that they're pitching this new technology? Yeah, I'm re- yeah, I'm really impressed. I just picked up some pamphlets on it, and uh, you know, that's kind of a combination between. Uh, it's really interesting. I hadn't put it in my hand, but I just actually bought. I forgot my helmet on the way on this trip out to the east coast so i had to buy a new helmet and uh i picked up one of their bond trigger helmets and uh with the mips in it and uh but then i saw the little pamphlet for the what they, what do they call it a new wave or something like that uh it's really really interesting i don't know how well it works but it's really interesting it's kind of a what is it between it's a like a it's like I don't know how how would you describe it, Lewis? It's, it's, <laughs> it's like polycarbonate. Of... It's like, like polycarbonate, like a weave of polycarbonate plastic that's in this kind of funky triangular squishy design, like a spring almost set on edge. So the liner kind of moves around, and the uh, polycarbonate is uh, takes all the impact. It's like so, yeah, it's like a pretty, it's like a honeycomb that's rotated like ninety degrees so that yeah, but it's not getting... connected to yeah, it's not connected on every side. So you have that free that honeycomb is allowed to shift around and move. Interesting. So, like, Do you think that has yeah, some so, relevance in whitewater? I don't know. I I I I'm definitely intrigued by it for sure. Uh, you know, because it both has you know that it kind of combines. Uh, have you, are you guys familiar with the choroid material, which is, I think Smith has puts it in their bike helmets and snow helmets. It's a polycarbonate, uh, straws basically is tubes that are engineered and then they're fused together with an elastomer. And so it allows uh, a lot of ventilation and, and a lot of impact absorption, even better than EPS. So I kind of look at this, uh, the Trek New Wave material, I think that's what it's called, the New Wave, uh, as kind of a combination between between MIPS and uh, Coroy together. So it's kind of interesting, for <laughs> sure. What about Tom? But I, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Jan. So I, a while back, I had a pretty solid mountain bike crash, and... Mm-hmm. While my helmet seemed pretty good, I did bang my head pretty good and had some pretty good scratches and whatnot on my helmet. But some of the guys I were with who were, um, you know, way more into mountain biking than I am, they recommended I that I had to get rid of that helmet and get a new one because it's taken yeah, a hit. Is that? I would, yeah, is I that, would agree with that. Anytime, yeah, absolutely. Is that something uh, in whitewater or, we need to consider? Uh. Somewhat, yes, but the material, like your bike helmet's made out of EPS foam, which is uh, expanded polystyrene, basically a, a, you know, a styrofoam on steroids, and uh, 
it it has internal you know there's just little beads of polystyrene that are filled with air and they can crack really easy in, under any kind of and you might not be able to see it the cracking could be internal inside the liner itself and so anytime that you hit a helmet pretty hard like that you should a bike helmet or anything with EPS you should probably replace it mm. uh, for for whitewater we everybody uses either what's called EPP which is expanded polypropylene or other types of uh, resilient foams like vinyl nitrile or EVA is, is very common, but it's probably the worst. It's basically, uh, you know, mini cell and, uh, it's, you know, under, you know, it's just not good stuff to have in a helmet. It has a lot of rebound to it. So, um, it doesn't, it doesn't really absorb a lot of impact. It kind of bounces it, everything right back in the opposite direction. Could we, um, could we read you another email about full face helmets? Maybe we could shed some light sure. on this. this wait, is from, uh, wait, 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 John, before you um, do that, real quick. Sorry. So the yeah. question is, why isn't the MIS system an option in whitewater helmets? It, you would say because it just... I, I would say, for I can't speak for other companies, but for, for me, I'm just not happy with the way that the, the low friction layer is attached to the helmet. I think that it, it allows the helmet... It's just because you have you could be upside down and you could take multiple hits on the same gotcha. you know, flip. And so if that thing, you know, if, there, if two hits are like really close together and that helmet's out of place, I think it exposes your head to gotcha. even, you know, whereas, whereas if you're on a bicycle and you fall down and, you know, you bump your head or bang your head pretty hard, you know, you're not, you might continue to fall and take more hits, but uh, I, I, I just think it leaves it exposed. And I'm just not comfortable with the, the, the way it's attached to the, to the, to the liner. Okay. So. Sorry, John. Thank you. That's that's my reason, anyway. But we are currently looking at they have a new solution, so stand by. Mm. So this is from Seth Dow. He writes, early in my kayaking career, I really wanted to get a full face near the time I was transitioning to class five. Then I decided the trade-offs were not worth it. For many years, I've now paddled with sweet protection rocker helmet, and I've loved it, but my wife was pressuring me to buy and wear a full face. I would do this if I thought it added safety, but I don't have any evidence either way. Intuitively, it would make sense that having a full face would add safety, but I don't like the idea of decreased ability to communicate C and increase the amount of hard plastic on my body from breaking my hand on, on bigger drops. Also, no one really wears them. Opinions. Huh. I think uh, the only, I mean, if you value your face and teeth, uh, I think full face is like really you know, especially on some harder stuff is probably really important. Also, if you take a hit to your jaw, uh, your jaw is really susceptible to concussions. Like I don't, I don't, I don't a lot of people don't realize that, but uh, if you take a big hit to your jaw, you can knock yourself out pretty hard. Hmm. Um, that would be one reason to wear a full face. Uh, the other two points that he makes though is, you know, about communication. I can see that as being a valid point as well, so. I mean, when I start paddling out here, I mean, I'm suddenly paddling drops where, like, I'm thinking, man, I could really knock myself silly with my paddle. Um, yeah, you should the bottom of these things. We get. <laughs> but, I mean, I mean Gilman, why, why don't you wear a full-face helmet? I mean, besides the obvious, you don't look like a tool bag. 
it's funny. I mean, I feel like full face has had a little bit of a moment out here when, you know, you didn't seem like a tool bag if you were wearing a full face. Um, I guess I always kind of worried about like catching something underwater with it or like, it just seemed like yeah, sort of a, li- a liability in some ways or something that could end up like yarding on your neck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's another valid point for not wearing it. You know, uh, the, the face mask snagging on something. Um, I guess I just never, I don't know. I guess I'm just not running that kind of white water. If I'm like thinking that I'm about to destroy my face, I'm probably just not going to run whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. But Max, I mean, Max said he broke his nose on wishbone the other, you know, a while ago. And I can completely see that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think you just learn to overcome that with technique. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I right? for sure. I mean, I for sure hit my face on my cockpit rim. I mean, I've probably taken more hits to my face on my cockpit rim than I have on rocks in the course of my paddling career. But I think you just kind of learn yeah. to learn to manage it. Um, I don't I've know. Never I guess taking a hit to the face. I try not to flip over. Yeah, I mean, I've taken a few hits to the face. It's not. It's not fun. Um, yeah. I paddled a full face. I gave it a full day in court, and it just did not pass the test. It was not for me. It Why? is, what was it is extremely annoying when you're trying to talk to somebody on the river constantly <laughs> finding them to pull the chin bar down so you can hear them. Yeah, you, that was that was the first thing. Like Even before we got to the river, I was noticing that. But then you can't see as good. And I'm sure you'll get used to it because, you know, you get used to it. If, you know, I used to race motocross. I got used to, like, my vision with that helmet. But you cannot see as good. You do not have the same field of view. So, yeah, that, when, we, when, uh, when we designed the, the standard full face, that was a big consideration. Both, both the angle of the face mask, you know, so it wouldn't run into your shoulder when you turned your head to look. And also, you know that that corner of the of the face mask where it meets the helmet so it wouldn't block vision when you're looking over to the over your I've, shoulder at something i've also seen people with the sweet full face in particular where it, you know like if you don't have the bar that's going down across the bridge of your nose basically the the helmet almost like channels your paddle directly into the bridge of your nose <laughs> i've seen yeah, people, like, I've definitely seen people break your your nose on their paddle wearing a full face helmet <laughs> And I think yeah, that's, you... yeah, another point I was going to say is that, you know, the face mask can like take a hit to the jaw or to the, you know, your chin, but, you know, the cockpit of your boat or, or a paddle can still make it inside the, inside that helmet. So, I mean, I think if you wear a bar across the front of your helmet, you're making a statement for sure that you may not want to make. The statement is <laughs> you're here on the shit. You better back that up. Shit. <laughs> you guys are so... terrible, man. <laughs> There's so, some guy out there right now unscrewing the bar off of his helmet. I know, right? Then we're gonna get sued. We're well, gonna get Clay Wright, you know. Yeah, that was Clay Wright loved his like we call it a nar bar. Uh, you know, go from the brim or the bottom of the edge of the helmet and the front to the face mask. It makes perfect but, uh, sense. Just put a bar in front of your helmet. But we're such as an as a sport, we're such assholes that we that we fight this at every every turn <laughs> right yeah <laughs> i don't know i feel like it's relatively yeah. acceptable out here like if you wear a full face helmet i don't i don't really give it a second thought to be honest yeah i, I think it's okay, it's okay. i i, I, I kind of want to personally. actually 
You want to what? I mean, I wish that I could. I, I mean, I really think there's benefits to it, you know, but like when we were, when, yeah, like 20 years ago, you saw somebody wearing a full face. You were like, who is that goober? And now I just like, I don't think it really registers anymore. Like, I think it's, it's like wearing a helmet skiing, you know, like when we were kids, if you saw somebody wearing a helmet skiing, you're like, that guy's either sending it to 11 or he's just like, <laughs> plus, you know, <laughs> and like now, like everybody wears a helmet skiing and you don't really think twice about it. And that's kind of how I feel about full faces. For that's good to hear, I suppose. So Tom, what advice do you give our listeners about buying a helmet? Like what should they be looking for? What, what should they avoid? What's the big picture? Uh, they, uh, they should, the most important component, I think, is the fit of the helmet, you know, it needs to fit on your head correctly, or if it's too loose, you know, it's just going to swap around in your head and expose your head when you don't want it to be. If it's too tight, you're gonna, just going to have a headache. So, uh, and, and just, you know, one thing I see a lot with uh, a lot of folks with helmets is that, that the little triangle buckle on the side of the helmet uh, that brings two straps together from the uh, the front and the rear attachment points mm-hmm. is like you'll see folks and I always see them like dangling down around the buckle and at that point they're not doing anything uh, so I always like to have that triangle buckle like directly below the front rivet you know almost straight down from it and that that helps a lot with the, the roll off of the helmet you know rolling backwards right and then uh I think that is, is the key thing, and then you know that it has the right materials, like a good foam in there, like an ETP or a vinyl nitrile, or uh, this new material that we're uh, working with, with it's called Deckling, and it's a, kind of a rate-dependent foam. Uh, you know, it's kind of super soft and conforms to your head, but when you take a big hit, uh, it just hardens up and takes amazing blows. So. Yeah, I think that's I saw it. it. But that's not really an issue anymore because, you know, all the manufacturers are all using good phones. When we started Shred Ready, almost nobody, everyone's just sticking mini cell in a, in a helmet. And right. Like my, my Grateful Heads helmet was just like some vinyl ester resin and some mini cell, <laughs> like a quarter inch of mini cell. In the yeah. Inside. Well, <laughs> I remember, you know, or your old Ace racing helmet, you know, Hell no yeah. helmet at all. Just, <laughs> That was the question I was saving for you, Tom, is, is do you ever look back on our, our solemn days and just, like, feel sick? Like I, I remember Billy Hearn's Domer race. I doubt Oh, right. The Domer. Yeah, we'll love Bill Domer, right? Like, one little piece of foam in there. But the solemn guys, you know, they don't, like, you know, some of those helmets, like those check helmets, have such giant holes, you know, you can put a whole bow of your boat inside your helmet. <laughs> <laughs> why are you even wearing a helmet you know? I, I wore that helmet I wore that helmet for just oh. an absolutely unreasonable amount of time in some absolute <laughs> unreasonable circumstances I forgot that I forgot Lewis had one of those things I'm certain my first trip on the Blackwater I was wearing an ace helmet there's no question my first, my, yeah. my first several years running Great Falls was in an ace helmet I had the pictures to prove it I feel like I was, went through yeah. a period when I was like I was wearing helmets where guys were like, dude, we're going to go run a serious river today. You got to put on an ace or something. And then, and then you yeah. wear the ace and then you take a hit and the plastic <laughs> suspension system would cut the crap out of your forehead. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it should make the impact worse. Oh my so God. Helmets have come a long way. <laughs> you know, uh, the ace helmet was part of the reason the CE standard got, uh, got started. So there's a, 
a little history there for you. But, uh, <laughs> well, Tom, right. thank yeah. you so much for coming on the show, man. Yeah, so, Thanks, yeah my first time on the uh, Hammer Factor. Yeah, dude, it won't be the last. Hey, a couple, couple things. We're starting an initiative here, and we're going to start hounding people. We're, we're done with single-use plastic. So I don't know how you're shipping your helmets now, Tom, but we're... Cut the shit. We're, uh, we, we use... Uh, yeah, I've been... You know, I still haven't worked... Yeah, we uh, started... We have our helmets in a plastic bag, but there's no other than that we use have we kind of have to do that unless you guys have a better idea uh, to protect the finish on the helmet. Uh, like another material that's more sustainable, I'm totally game. I would change in a heartbeat. And uh, But then it's inside of a Tyvek kind of uh, a non-woven fabric material that doubles as a backpack. And, uh, yeah, we quit using boxes about 15 years ago. Yeah. Well, well, we'll have to figure out something. Can you... Plastic. I don't know. Yeah, you guys got any ideas? I mean, John, you're well, you're the manufacturer, so. Yeah, we can talk about this if you're really interested. Give me a shout because we've been working on a bunch of stuff. I yeah, guess, yeah, I, I would. I've been trying. I've been racking my brains for years about about how to get rid of packaging. Yeah, I'd want to know your specific requirements, but we can. Some we could discuss off here. Sure. Also. Cool. Uh, since you're in Colorado now, Tom, June 22nd, the OB Joyful race is back on. You should go out there and figure out some oh, way yeah. to support those guys. You're going to want to wear two helmets. Sure. If you yeah. ask. <laughs> I was about to say, there'll probably be a lot of people in need of a new helmet after that. <laughs> so, so I should bring some inventory. That yeah, may not be a bad idea. Right. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. Is that the same weekend as Fibark? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. June 22nd is when, it's a, is, when it is, so... Sounds Fibarky. Okay. Yeah. It'll be it'll be Fibark, around that zone. Yeah. I think I think Fibark's a little later than that. If my memory yeah. serves me. But Okay. Well right. awesome. Well thanks for having me on guys. I'm glad I could uh, help out with your questions and Yeah, that was great. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Jim. Yep. yep. Have a good right. one. Cheers. Night. Yep, take care. Southern Impact Research Center. Wasn't wasn't the name of your first paddling crew before T Dub, John Grace? <laughs> the Southern Impact Research Center. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that you guys? <laughs> uh, we waffled back and forth. <laughs> that was interesting, you know. I never even knew what the MIPS was, so I don't know. That makes sense. I went, you know, dude. I took a on the Turnbull. We were doing a first ascent in New Zealand on the Turnbull River, and man, I hit my head, cracked my helmet. Cracked my T-dub. I rolled up, but it was just like, I mean, it definitely was a wake-up call as far as head hits, man. It is no joke. No joke. Um, well, thanks for that message. Where are we at, man? We have the PFD questions. The high and dry people keep hammering us. I, I don't know where to go with that. Um, well, let's should, get into that. Tim, Tim Bragan's email. I think he's exposed. I think something's coming to light. Where's that one at? It's the the, the photo of the high and dry. Oh, right. Some, yeah. Some... <laughs> yeah. This is definitely something that we kind of need to talk about here. And I, I mean, now that we have Weld on the line, we can kind of answer that. So 
We get a message. This comes at us from Tim Bragg, and we were talking about the guy in the high and dry who just absolutely had a full-on 11 in the beatering category down the Cascades. And this... Again, this is actually one of the Long Creek gangsters, for sure. It is. <laughs> Well, that's a that's an interesting conspiracy. This... <laughs> conspiracy, you know, because it could be kind of like this could be right in there with the same conspiracy of EJ back in his trailer into the lake, looking for some publicity. Weld, do you have the Long Creek gangsters cruising around with high and dries? Because when you slowed down the video, and I'm glad Tim brought it brought this to our attention. You slow down the video, and he zoomed in to the part on the high and dry. What does it say? Clear as can be, immersion research, high and dry. <laughs> it says it right here. So, so obviously, somewhere yeah, along obviously. the somewhere along the line, <laughs> something's going on that our listeners need to need to know about. How deep? I mean, does, how deep does, does this tunnel go? Anybody know where John Weld was the day that the video got filmed on the Cascades? That's a good question. Let's see if the date is on here. I could have been uh, testing out new gear. <laughs> mm-hmm. All this high and dry stuff is like four or five years old, at least, I think, right? I don't think there's any mention of it recently. No, this is new. This is, <laughs> you know all about this. Don't act dumb. Dude, we are so on to you with this whole thing. High and dry. <laughs> <laughs> we are so on to you. I mean, it's branded right there. I got a picture. Hey, hey yeah. listeners, I'll put this in the show notes. You look for yourself. I mean, right. it, it is right there. <laughs> Here's a good one. This is a legit topic of conversation here. Pierce Huser uh, writes in, just wondering what kind of methods are there to check the depth of a waterfall other than scouting them at uber low flows? Can I tell you a story about running a waterfall with uh, Boomer? <laughs> Not Eric Boomer, Whoa. the other Boomer. When was this? This is a long time ago. <laughs> yes, let's hear it. Uh, so we do we have time for this? Dude, we're so past our time I, limit. I know the I know the listeners love the uh, old school story. So we were running uh, the North Fork of the Blackwater. This was probably I'm going to say the first, certainly the first half dozen descents of the of the run. It had gotten run by Wade Zinter and some other people. And they did a story in the AW, and it's, that was a nearby creek. So we went over to go run it. There was really no, not a lot of data. We knew from the article there was a 30-foot waterfall in there that they had run. And so uh, we we got to – this is Michael Janoska, Boomer, and I got to what is clearly this waterfall. And uh, gluteal mash, it's called. And we're like, well, I was like, all right, I, I guess I'll run. Or, no, we wanted to go check the paddle. We want to check the depth. And so uh, – uh, I, I we lowered myself and my boat down off this cliff and uh, I poked around my paddle and found a little deep deep spot to land. Um, but there was definitely some shallow spots in there too. And uh, Boomer's up at the top and I was sort of giving the thumbs up like right here and he gave me the thumbs up and we hauled my boat back up again and we were sitting atop and it was kind of a, a Rochambeau thing to see who's going to go first. Well. Boomer ended up going first and wasn't exactly where I was poking around. And I was above the, you know, at the top, and I couldn't see over the lip, but I heard a thunk. And I sort of peered over the edge of the lip of this thing, and I see Boomer's boat floating in his sight upside down. <laughs> and uh, he had hit one of these rocks, uh, and he's not coming out of the boat. And for, it was like a three or four count where I wasn't quite sure what to do. And finally, I jumped in. And this is 
cold weather. You know, it's snow on the ground and stuff. But I jumped off this thing into the into the pool, and as I'm jumping, I see him come out from under the boat. Um, but he had shoved basically had shoved his tibia and amphibia through his foot, <laughs> like his foot was turned back up towards his towards his face, the bottom of his foot. Um, and he had thought he he had thought he'd pushed he'd broken the ballast wall. That was actually his, his bone going through his foot. And uh, it ensued a very long, not very long, but a, you know, obviously a really shitty rescue, where he's saying, you know, he's going to lose his foot, and I'm telling him, no, he's not going to lose his foot. I'm thinking, dude, this guy's going to lose his foot. Um, it turns out he did not lose his foot, but uh, as definitely an incident where um, we we're careless on the probing of the depth of the waterfall, so it does happen. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I mean, I have a similar story from oh, my that's right. teenage years. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I mean, this was like, this must have been 97? Somewhere in 97, and we ran that, uh, I think it's called the Chutes de Plaisance up in Quebec. Have you been up there, Grace? It's on the uh, Petite Nation. Mm-mm. I mean, I've and been up to this, Quebec a few times, but not that river. It's this, like, rolling lip, like, kind of slide to drop that, I mean, at the time we thought it was like 50 feet. Maybe it's not quite that high, but I was paddling one of the very early iterations of the uh, Wavesport Kinetic, straight from coming straight from the Ottawa Rodeo. I had metal foot pegs in that thing. Yeah. Somebody nice. went first. I, uh, you know, I, I, I thought it looked a little deeper, a little to the right, went right where I thought I wanted to, and just piton my brains out like you know probably went up to like about my cockpit room in the pool before i pitoned and you know broke both my ankles one of them extremely badly uh you know had to go back had to get surgery was on crutches for i don't know four months they were saying there's like a 70 percent chance i was gonna have to get my ankle fused um just just a horrible experience Boomer yeah. did get his ankle fused after this. His his X-ray looked like yeah. cat food. It was a, a disaster in there. Yeah, I. This is a long way of saying, I guess. We don't know what the answer is, but be careful. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> don't 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 paddle a, a T Canyon or a Wavesport Kinetic. I think a modern creek boat is probably pretty helpful in this regard. Forty-fiving things rather than going for the full pencil, <laughs> probably also helpful. I, had the idea I mean, there's that story about Jason. What's is the the kid in California? Is the really good free South Island who broke his back so badly? Yeah, Jason Craig. Jason Craig, yeah. I mean, another one that looked like you know beautiful clean drop, but there was a you know he boofed it, and there was a rock just like right under the surface in the boil, and uh, you know broke his back very very badly. So I mean, I think you know if you're on a first ascent kind of mission. Don't be cavalier about that stuff. Yeah, do your homework. One thing we... that one little bit of advice is a lot of times you can find a lot about the depth of a waterfall by throwing a big six, eight, ten foot long log off of it. <laughs> Very scientific. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, usually you think you can tell just by looking at the boil, right? Like, it's like you you have you develop sort of like an innate sense for this stuff. But it's so hard, but like in that tannic tannin water up in quebec and all, you know it's just so hard yeah. you know sorry to interrupt i didn't know i was just no no i don't know i think you can i think uh it's one of those things you know 45 it i've definitely thrown some logs off of there before and i've been to some waterfalls and you want like let me tell you about my log technique 
All right, let me break it down for you. So you need a log that is as long as your kayak, okay? <laughs> and it, it, it can't be a short log. It's got to be as long as your kayak. And it has to pencil, okay? Because you can't, it can't come off sideways and the log come out unscathed and be like, oh, it's fine, you know? It's got a pencil. And if the log this comes is, out and it's shattered it's on the... the worst advice you've ever given on it, this show. <laughs> and it's shattered on the ends, then that means it's probably not good to go. If it pencils in and it's all good, personally, I'd give it. That's just my two cents. You wanted to know, you Pierce. Oh, there you have it. That's what I got. <laughs> but I don't know. That's, you know, how many times have we stood at the top of a waterfall and been like, do you think it's deep? <laughs> I mean, that's a really good question. I don't exactly know the answer. Log probe has helped me in the past. I mean, what it is, is the odds are in your favor is that water's been pouring over that thing long enough. There's probably not a rock there, but that's all it is. That's what we're basing all this on is the odds are in our favor, but clearly it's not always the case. Mm. All right, two li- two final listener mails here, b- here before we get into rants and raves. This comes at us. This is our two uh, PFD questions. Um, Ryan Stevenson, yo, fellas, I was talking with Curry. Uh, that's Philip Curry from Astral um, Designs. I was talking with Curry last week and bounced the idea of a whitewater fanny pack. Uh, he quickly relegated into the realm of club boaters, people who wear neoprene gloves, um, wasn't a fan, I guess. My thought is they would be really convenient if they were waterproof for stashing some small items. Yes, PFDs have pockets, but stashing some more items would be convenient, and PFD pockets aren't waterproof. They've made a huge comeback in mountain biking with good reason. They would be significantly more acceptable than a scarf on the river. <laughs> Thoughts? Cheers. Ryan Stevenson, R&D engineer at the Werner Paddles. Thanks for that email, Ryan. Dude, so do you think he's talking about like a fanny pack that, you know, buckles in the front and and the little pack is is behind your back? Kind of the way some people will wear like a throw rope. Here's the problem. Can we just get right down to the problem? (laughs) Yeah, let's do that. What's a watershed dry bag cost? Retail. Doesn't matter. It's worth every cent. Well, I'm just saying. Just give me a price. Uh, 80 bucks. 80 bucks. That would be the bare minimum cost for this fanny pack, right? And probably be more than that because you couldn't do the same easy seals they have in the watershed bags. You're looking at $120 for a fanny pack. I mean, no one would, no one's buying a $120 fanny pack. And like, what's what's the upside to that? Like, it's not like you know, you like if you're mountain biking, you... you get your stuff off your back. <clears throat> but like, if you're if you're paddling, you have this like giant kayak that's ready to be filled with your junk. It's like, why would you not just put it in your boat? You can get your weed even faster. Good point. And you know, you could like bust out your phone. Shrig. You could you could you could bust out your phone and just frickin' Instagram right there. Bam! Look where I'm at. Come check it out. Try and get my photo. I don't know, man. I, I, I commit to you now that I will relentlessly mock whoever the first person I see wearing a fanny pack is on the river. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> keeping stuff dry is too expensive, especially keeping stuff dry in, in a space like that. It's just too expensive. Yeah. Even, even if people wanted it, it, it. You know, I would ask Ryan this. What is it that you want to keep dry that you need that access to? Because I don't, I don't, even if it was the same cost, I'm not sure what I would use it for. I'm not sure what the need is. But, you know, interesting idea. I think the cost is going to kind of prohibit it from ever being a thing. But this comes at us from Harley mm, Godhart. Godhart? 
Hello, talking about PFDs with friends, and we were discussing if PFD rib protection is a real concern or if it's fabricated to cover up the restrictions and mo mobility it would bring. A few PFDs that come to mind would be Astral's Green, green Jacket or Kokodat's uh, Poseidon, or any jacket that covers the ribs by placing flotation on the ribs. I'm interested in what you guys think. Anybody want to take a stab at this one? I, the only time I've really took a hit to the rib is when I was teaching kayaking, and you get students just wailing on your ribs as they come screaming at daddies like torpedoing you with their boat kind of thing yeah i'm like looking over my shoulder at one guy floundering on the eddy line and someone else comes hauling acid in my rib cage in the front of the boat <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that really is like 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 99 percent of rib hazards or other people just space out on the river and then you don't have to worry about rib protection <laughs> I like the idea of it, but I am just so such a minimalist. I, you know, I, I just want less around my waist. I just want less stuff, you know. So, uh, to me, that what you would gain out of getting some rib protection from it, I would probably it would be too much of the lack of mobility that I would sacrifice to get that. But that's just my opinion. I mean, well, how many times have I been like? You know, with the dry suit, you know, just get all that stuff out of there. I don't want any of that stuff, you know, or just, you know, I don't know. That's just my, my opinion on it. Rib protection sounds like a good idea, though. I hate, I mean, I hate all the gear you have to wear out here to go kayaking. I hate it. <laughs> I really do. I just want to paddle in a t-shirt. Yeah. That's, or whatever. That's <laughs> you where, know what I mean? That's where I was at yesterday afternoon. It's already t-shirt weather. Um... All right, boys and girls, do you feel like we've we've done our time here? We're at uh Jesus, like six hours. <laughs> one hour for it. one hour forty six minutes. <laughs> I, have, I have nothing for rants and raves. <sighs> I got three raves. You Why don't you like take them? Do them for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, well, welcome to everyone's favorite segment of the show, rants and raves. You know, one thing I want to add real quick. Did you guys see that video of Nick Troutman in that boater cross video getting, like you say, you know, like speared by a boat in his head and getting a really bad concussion and the whole nine yards? Mm-mm. Yeah. Fuck boater cross. That's that's exactly <laughs> where I was going with Maybe it. Maybe that'll be my rant. That's okay. So yeah, yeah, I was I was kind of feeding you that because I had raves and I wanted to rant about that, but Chelsea was telling me she's like, John, you know, I was sitting there and I was listening to you edit the show, and like all you do is rant. You've ranted like the past five shows. So I'm like, all right, I'm coming back big with some raves. Um, I'm gonna rave about forward offset on paddles. This is kind of a new thing to me over the past couple years with the Odachi and whatnot. And I paddled my, um, I paddled actually a, a, a Stikin. And then Werner has this new paddle, a Surge. And it's like a powerhouse blade, but with a forward offset. And just the purchase you get with that forward offset compared to just a normal offset paddle, like neutral offset paddle, it is a big difference. So compare the two. I, I recommend you to, to compare the two. So I'm going to rave about that forward offset. Um, I'm going to rave about, so while we were, while you know, during our sabbatical here on the Hammer Factor, I did a big trail run across the Smokies. I ran 70 miles across the Appalachian Trail um, across the Smokies. It took, took like 22 hours. And 
I could go into the whole trip and how it went, but it was it was it was really good. It was really hard. It was harder than I thought it was going to be, but it was a it was a good run. But I'm just going to rave about just the human body and just what how it can adapt and what you can do um, just with a little repetition and a little effort. Because when I did my first training run for that, it was 12 Are you weeks raving before. about yourself? I'm raving about the transition that you can get with practice. Because that first run, I ran nine miles. It took me three hours. It about killed me up this hill. And a mere 12 weeks later, you can run for 22 hours straight. It's not just me. I'm not raving about myself. I'm just raving about how just the, the amazing stuff that the human body can do, like Dane doing that cobra flip off of spirit. I mean, isn't that amazing that a human body can do that? Um, and that's it. I got one more Ray, but I'm going to save it for next episode. We got weld. Um, I, this is a tough one because I want to rave about the mock now. Uh, because it is the it is the most user-friendly creek boat I've ever paddled. But at the same time, is that really a good thing? I don't know. But, uh, damn, if that boat isn't easy to paddle. It's almost too easy. I don't know. Is that a rave? I think it's a rave. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I could rave for a long time about modern kayaks. Like, I feel like there was a lull there for, like, 10 years when boats just did not progress. Like, how long did... How long was like the Nomad, like a cutting edge creek boat, like, right, like or like a viable creek boat, like seven or eight years? Like I paddled the Remix for like seven or eight years, and like just like nothing changed. And now there's like a bunch of new, pretty sick boat designs out there, and it was like they're coming out with new boats again, like pretty regularly. They're like good. Like I feel like there was just a real period of stagnation there, and like I'm pumped that we're past that. Is that your rave? I don't know. It can be. I don't really have anything else. I think you just backed I want to rant rave. about. I want to rant, rant about John Weld not going kayaking with me. I'm not sure exactly how I've acquired this reputation in his eyes as, <laughs> as someone he's going kayaking with. When I, when, I, when I text Weld to go mountain biking, I get a response within like 90 seconds. And when I text Weld to go kayaking... I'd maybe get a response in like 24 hours. When Gelman and I ran the Little White, he was like, he'd be like, all right, truck and trailer. And I'd be like, truck and what? And he'd be like, disappearing over the lip of something. And I'd be like, is that the name of this rapid? <laughs> disappearing. <laughs> and then I finally figured out, I'd be like, the trailer's still in the eddy. Where am I going? <laughs> so I'll go boating with you when I get to know the river a little bit better. <laughs> I'm getting I've taken so many people down that river for their first time. They've all had positive experiences, except for John Weld, who doesn't trust me. This is really interesting. <laughs> like, why do you? Why don't you trust Lewis? Are you just looking for a different experience, Weld? I know what we did to Lewis is when he was a kid at Valley Mill Boats, and I know that <laughs> in his life, and I feel like that's going to come out, and it did come out. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like 30 years of pent-up hazing I'm ready to unleash on you. <laughs> sure. sure, like I think if Sam Drevo to this day caught me in a dark alley, he would he would knife me with like a like a yeah, like, like take me dead, down. Dead arms and sternum rubs. Yeah. <laughs> the balance is restored in the universe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. 
I'm gonna rave. You know what? I'm gonna get another rave. I'm just gonna rave about race <laughs> season being here. It looked like they had a good race up at the Cuyahoga Falls race. Remember when we had Don and those guys on the show? Sounds like it was a good, well attended little white race. You know, we got Obi Joyful race coming up. There's just, you know. I don't Are you know. gonna come out for North Fork? I love, I love the racing, man. I may be able to come out, but I don't know. I have a uh, a trip that came up actually to Colorado that may I may be going on during the North Fork Championship. It was on the I schedule. Like as a, I feel like as a race organizer, you would uniquely appreciate the work that Regan and James put into that thing. Oh, did I have no doubt. No, we went I... out to. We went out to. I paddled a section of North Fork not too long ago. Uh, I should be raving about Ryan Bailey because sincerely one of the coolest dudes I've ever met. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And also just standing in front of the cafe he's building, it felt iconic. You know what I mean? I've been looking at pictures of that forever of that building. And it was, it seemed like sacred ground in some way. The North Fork, however, was about as un, unfamiliar stretch of river as I've ever paddled. It is nothing like anything I'm used to kayaking in any way I can conceive of. You did this it's recently? a river in the very loosest sense of the word that I understand it. Yeah, like uh, maybe three or four weeks ago, three weeks ago. It's just it's just a blasted out freight train. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's bad. It's just nothing that I'm familiar with. This is a whole different style of river river running. It's a unique place. Yeah, it is totally different. There's no doubt about it. I remember being not interested in going to the North Fork of the Payette for the longest time, and Fred Coriel is the one who finally talked me into it. He was like, "Dude, we've got to go there. I'm telling you." You know, I'm like, "Man, you know." And I, so finally, we just kind of carved out three days on this trip we were going to do, and it was so rad. I had so much fun doing laps on that river. Hmm. It was, it was off the chain. Freddie's an operator out there for sure. Um, Lewis, did you rant a rave? Yeah, I ranted about Weld. Okay, that's a good one. Mm. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to The Hammer Factor. And, um, yeah, we'll get together soon. We appreciate all of the listener mails. I hate to rant about where they come in, but it's way it's going to be way more effective to get them on the show if you send them to the email address at hammerfactor.com. As always, give us a thumbs up on the iTunes ratings. We love those. I think we're over like 150 ratings or something like that with some pretty good reviews. Should I read some reviews on there? Actually, I'll do that next show. I'll next next show I'll read some reviews. They're pretty funny. Um yeah, until then, boys. Cheers. Right, see you next time.